Hi there. Welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy that you tuned in. Please join us today as we continue our series through the book of Matthew. worship. We're in a series called Seven Life Lessons, where every week we're looking at one truth that will transform your life. We're so glad that you're joining us wherever you are on your spiritual journey, wherever you are in the world. We hope that this will be an encouragement to you. If you're with us every week, welcome back. And if this is your first time logging in, uh, welcome. We're especially glad that you're here. We'd love to hear from every one of you. Would you take a moment to fill out the online connection card before you log off? We're about to jump into this series, which is just a continuation of our study of the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles or if you have your Matthew journals, get them out. We're somewhere in Matthew's chapter 14 through 16, where Jesus teaches these powerful lessons. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors at Branch Life Church. And again, we're glad that you've joined us today. If you'd like more information about Branch Life, if you'd like to give online, if you'd like to find more shareable resources, uh, you can find all of that at branchlife.church. And we'd love to connect with you more there. And if this message is helpful to you today, don't forget to share it with your friends on social media. Hey, grab your Bibles, grab your Matthew journals. Let's dive into today's life lesson. Remember the life lessons your dad taught you. Dads teach the best life lessons. I remember the first of many life lessons my dad taught me by making paper airplanes. He taught me how to fold and measure the paper so it was sore. That was amazing. I learned so much. Our Heavenly Father also teaches life lessons. He said, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. All right, we're going to dive in. So if you have your journals, page 90, Matthew chapter 16, we are leading up in this life lesson to possibly, and again, not to overstate this, possibly the most important life lesson of all. What if I told you that today we are, are arriving at the place in Matthew where everything is leading up to. Have you ever read a, a giant book or gone on a very, very long trip? And, and the whole point was to get to the point. Like I remember trying to read The Lord of the Rings and trying to figure out what's going to happen with the ring, you know. And, and it's a long book and there's lots of them. And we had, you finish one and you had to go to the next one. And, and it, it's all leading up to something that's incredibly important. Or you're on that trip and you're driving across country or around the world or whatever you're going to do. And you're just trying to get to what it is all for. That's what this paragraph in the book of Matthew is all about today. This is everything that Matthew has been leading up to. All the stuff that we've heard so far through the book of Matthew is now coming to this crescendo in Matthew chapter 16. And there's a ginormous, massive, important point that Matthew is trying to make that he's been leading up to this entire time. So with all that being said... We're like, all right, well, what's the point? What's the life lesson? What's the thing that he's been trying to tell us? And for us, it's 
It's life lesson number five in this series, and, and here it is. Get ready to write it down. The local church is God's plan A. The local church is God's plan A. And you just went, wait, what? Like, that's the most important point that you could possibly make? Now, this idea of the local church, this phrase, the local church being God's plan A, is not unique to me. There's a book that I'd love you all to read for some, at some point as you're joining Branch Life Church called Gaining by Losing by J.D. Greer. It's not a book about weight loss. It's a book about church multiplication. In that book, he says the same phrase, that the local church is God's plan A. Now, if you get this, this absolutely transforms your life. It's a life changer and, and for the better in every good way. If you don't get this, this makes absolutely no sense to you. I was just talking to two people this weekend. Both people had, had very similar kind of takes on spiritual life. Both people, fans of God. They, they believe in God. They, they know there's a God. They, they follow God. They're interested in who God is. But both people, for very different reasons, not fans of the church. As I start talking to people in and around our communities, and we start talking to them about spiritual life and faith journeys, I sometimes have to talk to people about why I believe God is real. But that's rare. More often than not, I find myself talking to people about why they should be a part of a church if they believe in God. That conversation we keep having over and over and over and over again. So individual number one, fan of God, but not necessarily a fan of a church, he, he literally said, I don't think it's all about kind of going and sitting and watching a performance or listening to somebody talk. Like, you know, I did that for a long time, and I just, it's, it's got, there's got to be more to it than that. So I, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just trying to kind of figure out and do my own thing. And was he right? Is he wrong? How, how does that work? The, the second person, not a fan of the church, they weren't a fan of the church because they had been hurt in the church. Something had happened to them in the past, and we, we run into this story all along. They were, they were a part of a church, they were a part of, of, of a worship or assembly or whatever you want to call it, and, and something went wrong. They, they, they got injured in some way, or somebody broke their trust, or someone was a bad example, and and because of that, they said, this can't be right. This can't be good. This can't be what God has for me. And so I'm going to lay that aside, and I'm just going to now go do my own thing because that thing hurts. Now, both of those people, and, and a variety of other pe reasons, both of those people misunderstood the church. You see, what we're going to see in this passage, again, cornerstone passage, is we're going to see three questions answered. We're going to answer the question, how do I enter the church? And that's, that's kind of a big deal, right? Like, how do I get in? Then we're going to answer the question, what is it? What's the church? What does it mean? And then we're going to ask ourselves, what does it do? You see, the first gentleman that didn't want to just kind of be a part of an event, he didn't want to be a part of a production, he misunderstood what the church is. He thought that was the church. The second person who was injured and therefore disconnected from the church, 
didn't understand what the church does. It becomes extremely important to answer these questions correctly. And so Matthew, leading up to this point and to this moment, is going to give us answers, very, very clear answers when you look at it, to this idea of the church. And again, dream with me for a moment. If you could be a part of God's plan A, right? If you could be a part of God's strategy, if you could be a part of what God wants to accomplish in the world, it would be drastically life-changing. It would be incredibly exciting. You'd have passion and purpose and and love and direction, and, and God has given us the church as his plan A. Plan A. It's the strategy. It's the thing that God has given you and I. I'm going to say right off the bat, to us, the church is a gift. That God has given. So many people don't understand what that is. So let's jump into it. So the first question is, how do we enter the church? How do we enter the church? Now, here at Branch Life, to get into this building, it's confusing. Probably the first time you, get, you came here and you parked out in the parking lot, right? Remember that moment? And you got out of your car and you pointed yourself towards the building. And you're like, okay, do I go in there? We're there. We're there. Like, what am, what am I supposed to do? Somebody help me. And so we put people at the doors, and we're trying to get signs, and we're going to get more signs, and try to make it clear, like, enter here, obviously, the way you're supposed to go. And then when you get in the building, how So, like, it can be confusing to kind of come into this building. And, and most people, when they enter into a building like this, they think that they're entering into the church. So if I ask most people, how do you get into the church or how do you enter the church, they would say through the front doors. And they'd be wrong. That is not how you enter the church. And this is the first point that Jesus makes. As everything had led up to this moment, Jesus is talking to the disciples. They've all gathered around. He's got Peter, Andrew, John, James, all the rest. And he says to them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or just one of the prophets. And he said to them, here it is, here's the line, here's the center line of all the book of Matthew. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? This question is the question that everything has been leading up to. Everything that we know in the book of Matthew, everything that's happened, remember in the very first part, it was like Jesus was born, he was born of a virgin, he was born in the right place at the right time, fulfilling all kinds of prophecies, like creation came and celebrated him, the star came and shone on him, the wise men followed the star, they came and they worshipped the king, this baby that was born king, right? And then Jesus grew in, in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, and he began his earthly ministry, and he started doing miracles, he turned... He turned uh, uh, water into wine, and he had all kinds of stuff that was amazing, and it was attracting attention. He started to heal people. He started to cast out demons, and like, all right, he fulfilled prophecies, and now he's doing miracles, and then he started teaching, right? And he did the Sermon on the Mountain, and he's telling people how they should live. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because they're going to enter the kingdom of God. He teaches this incredible upside-down teaching that kind of blew their minds and rocked their worlds, and then more miracles and more parables, and 
feeds the 5,000, feeds the 4,000, walks on water, says that he is one, uh, one and the same with the great I am, right? He, he's doing all of these things, and Matthew's telling him, Matthew's repeating himself over and over and over again. We're seeing the same stories, the same parables, the same miracles. He's raising people from the dead, and he's doing all this incredible stuff, and he's doing it all in the presence of the disciples. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Peter. Matthew's writing it all down. He's standing right there, and Jesus looks at him and says, who do you say that I am? We've laid it out. You've seen it. Now what are you going to do with it? I've made my case. I've kind of presented every bit of evidence that I could present to you. Who do you say that I am? John the Baptist announces me. The Holy Spirit, a voice from heaven says something. The dove lands. Who do you say that I, who do you say that I am? Listen, when we ask people who Jesus is, you're going to get all kinds of answers. And that's the same that was happening here. They, they went with their cultural answers that were being shown around. They said, you're John, maybe you're John the Baptist. Remember, Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist, and Herod had already killed John the Baptist. He thought Jesus was John the Baptist returning. Maybe you're Jeremiah, a really famous prophet that they all studied and they all knew who he was. Maybe, maybe you're Elijah. You're, you're, you're somebody. But what they were saying in these moments was they were saying, the other people were saying that Jesus was just a man. That Jesus was just another person that showed up on the scene. And when we ask people today who Jesus is, most people are going to say, he's a good man. He's a good guy. He helped a lot of people. He's a good teacher. He taught a lot of really good things. He's a historical character. He's a man that had a following. And they're, they're going to talk about Jesus in a way that answers this question. That says he's just a man. He's just a person. The problem with believing that Jesus is just a person is that no person can save you. No person can save you. And if I think Jesus is just a person, then I'm not saved. How do I enter the church? You enter the church by being saved. You enter the church by being saved. If you don't think Jesus is God, you are not saved. It's an absolute requirement. So Jesus leans forward to his disciples and he says, who do you think that I am? And Peter stands up in front of him and he says, Peter says to Jesus, you are the what? Christ. If you have your Bibles, you need to circle the. He says, you are the Christ. I'm going to go back. The son of the living God. You see, Peter declares something. And it, did, you, did you know that Christ is not Jesus' last name? It's Josh Park, Jesus Christ, right? No, that's not how this works. This is a title that is bestowed upon the Messiah. The Christ has been born. This is identifying Jesus as everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And Peter, out of all the disciples in this moment, he, he asked them all, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who do you say that I am? Peter, right, the guy that walks on water, steps forward and says, you're God. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. I believe it. I'm all in. That's who I say that you are. In that moment, when Peter declared Jesus Christ as, Jesus as the Christ, 
that's the moment, this is the time, whenever he believed it, that, that Peter became saved. This is, this is his transformational moment. This is what absolutely changes his entire life. That he believed Jesus was not just a person, not just a prophet, but he was God's son, the Messiah, the Christ. When you believe that Jesus is God, it's your transformational moment. It's the moment that changes absolutely everything in who you are. It's, it's the moment that, that will radically transform all of eternity and the way that you live and what you'll pursue and where you go after. And in this moment of salvation in your life, when you believe that Jesus is God, when you understand that your sins have been forgiven by God and there's nothing that you can do to save yourself and that you must put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you understand all of those things, it, trans it transforms everything. You see, this verse goes on to, to show us that salvation is a gift from God. Salvation is something that God gives us. And Jesus answered him, Peter, and says, Blessed are you, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter comes out and says, I believe you're the Christ. And Jesus goes, you nailed it. You got it. You figured it out. Listen, it, it's not you that figured this out. God has shown this to you. This has been revealed to you. You have been given something that no one can receive on their own. You see, salvation is a gift that comes from God. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you're saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can do nothing to save your soul. You can do nothing to forgive your own sins. You can do nothing to enter yourself into eternity. It's got to be something that you receive from God, this amazing gift. You see, salvation is a gift. When you believe that Jesus Christ is God, when you get it, when you understand it, when you realize that you can't work for it and you just simply have to accept it, that's your transformational moment. That's when everything becomes new. And in that moment, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit moves in. He takes residence into your life. That your heart is totally, completely cleaned and transformed. That your sins are forgiven. The angels in heaven rejoice. And you become a part of the church. Your moment of salvation is how you enter the church. Not through any doors. So how about you? Have you put your personal trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you received the gift of salvation? Do you realize it's nothing that you can do to save yourself? Have you been transformed by this truth? It's not a religion. It's not a work. It's not going to a, a worship service. It's not getting baptized. It's not saying the right magic words in a prayer. It's believing that Jesus is God that saves you. Today, if you want to put your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the door is open to you. He wants to give you the gift. He wants you to be adopted into the family so that you can enter the church. You see, the church is a family. The first time I entered a family was April 9th, 1978. That's my birthday. It was a dark and stormy night, and I came out screaming and crying into this brand new world. And when I was born on April 9th, 1978, I was born a part of the Park family. I'm the youngest of five kids. I'm also the best of five kids. <laughs> Smartest, best looking, 
most successful, every, in every measurement of every way. My parents just praised the Lord for April 9th, 1978. It was an incredible moment. That's the moment that I became a part of the family. Now, in order to become a part of the family of God, in order to become a part of the, of the church family, you have to be born again. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Yes, once you were born uh, of, of blood and water, but now you must be born of the Spirit. And so when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we go through a rebirth and we're born into the family of God. That's what is described as a church. I want that for each and every one of you. I want you to, to know God. I want God to, to, I want you to receive that free gift of salvation that God is giving to you. I, I want you to do that today. Simply tell God you're sorry for your sins. That you believe that Jesus died, and here's the kicker, rose again from the dead, because that's what God does. And that you want to accept the free gift of salvation. You want to give Jesus your heart. You want to follow him. If you have any more questions about that, you can go to the gospel tab. And if today you, you, you receive Jesus, you decide to become a follower of Jesus, let us know on your connection card. We'd love to celebrate that with you. We'd love to pray uh, for you and, and just be aware that you've taken this incredibly important step in your spiritual journey. That's how you enter the church. Now, if, if you're still trying to understand this and you're like, wait, this is kind of blowing my mind. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure how all that puts together. That's why this second question is so important. What is the church? What is the church? So in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, after, after Jesus, Peter declares Jesus is Christ and Jesus gets all excited, he says, you got it. My father has revealed this to you. He's still excited, Jesus, and he says, I tell you, Peter, that on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, Peter, in, in the original language, is just a small rock. That's what his name means. And on, You are a small rock, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter's sitting there going, wow, this is incredible. He's looking at Andrew, he's looking at John, he's looking at Matthew, he's like, he's he's." He's going to build his church. Like, that's incredible. And they're all like, wow, that's amazing. This is unbelievable. What's a church? So, like, Philip's like, what's, it, what's Jesus talking about? And Thomas is like, I don't, I don't know. They had never heard of a church before. This is the very first time that Jesus uses the word church. He's never explained it. He's never unpacked it. He's never kind of uh, drawn out the blueprints or given them the, the planting plan. He just announces it. I'm going I'm to build my church. And they're probably thinking back to themselves, all right, like, so is that, is that like, like a new temple? Is it like Temple 2.0? Did they even attach it to a building? Did they, did they think it was going to be like some sort of uh, uh, holiday that they were going to be a part of and they were going to all now kind of go to this churchy venny thing and have the celebration and and they're sitting there and Jesus said the word for church is just kind of this idea of called out ones who assemble he so he's, so he's saying to them I'm gonna I'm gonna have you be the the called out ones that assemble and, and so they're trying to understand it in this moment what Jesus is saying to them is I clearly want to identify what the church is and we have the same confusion that the disciples would have had in this moment we have the same baggage. We have the same kind of question. When God says, hey, I want you to be a part of the church, we all go, what's, what's that? Like, what's the church? And in our culture and in our day, we now have all kinds of voices defining for us what the church is. And we get it severely wrong most of the time. Most people do not have a correct understanding of what Jesus meant when he said, I would build my church. 
Here's what we know the church is not. First of all, the church is not a building. The church is not a building. It's not a place that we go to. If you listen carefully, and I try to do this. I'm not very good at it because I'm trying to correct my own usage of this word. When I welcome you here on Sunday mornings, I I try not to welcome you to church. I try not to identify this as a place. When I invite my friends or put a post on social media, I say, come and join us. Come be with us. We don't have Christmas at Branch Life Church. We have Christmas with Branch Life Church. Because the church is not a building. But what we have done in our culture is we've slapped the word church on every sign out front. We've put it on the buildings out and about town. And we've declared that these are churches. That these are with the steeple and the pulpit and the fellowship hall is the church. And that is not what Jesus was talking about in this moment. And that is not what the disciples would have understood in this moment. I was in Friendlies in Pottstown. I've told you this story before. A couple of years ago, and we were just starting Branch Life Church, and the waitress said, hey, who are you? What are you doing? My name is Josh, and we're going to start a church in Pottstown. And literally, she went, there's like 80 churches in Pottstown. Like, we don't need another one of those. Why in the world would you do that? Like, it was almost disgusting. Like, just go use one that's already here, right? And she's not wrong. There are 80 church buildings in Pottstown. There's, there's, buildings all over the place. You probably drove past a bunch of buildings of other churches just to get here. And what we've done in our culture is we've started identifying these buildings as the church. The Quakers said it better when they called their places of meeting, meeting houses. They didn't call them churches. I'd much prefer to call us a chapel or a cathedral or a temple. Like those are buildings. Those are places that people go to. You can't go to church. I think I'm going to write a book. I think the title of the book is going to be Stop Going to Church by Pastor Josh Park. And everyone's going to buy it because they're all like, dude, there's a pastor that's telling us to stop going to church. I've never heard about that before. They almost all want us to go to church. I've wanted out of this deal for a long time, so let me read that, and I'm, I'm going to try to understand what, what he's talking about. We need to stop going to church, but the subline is going to say we need to start being the church. Because the second thing is that the church is not an event. The church is not an event that happens on Sunday morning, and you'll, you'll hear yourself saying this, Quite regularly, you'll hear someone say, how was church today? You know what they're asking? How was the event? How long did church go today? What are, why are you asking it that way? You're, you're, you're identifying it as, a, as an event. This is, this is not church. This is a worship service. This is, this is just a time in the week. And if you think that church is an event, that means you can punch in and you can punch out. That means you can miss it or you can skip it. And you can't do any of those things with the church. The church doesn't have a time. The church doesn't have an hour that, that's the church's hour. The church is way, way bigger than an event. And if I start thinking that the church is just an event, that I sit there and I soak things up, then you're going to quickly figure out that it's a waste of time. You're going to realize, like the guy that I talked to this weekend, there's got to be more to it than just sitting in a room listening to some guy yak for 45 minutes. And all people said, we wish it was 45 minutes. This is not church. Stop going to church and start being the church. You see, the church is us. 
We're the church. The church is a body. The church is a family. The church is a marriage. Christ is, is the bride and we are the, Christ is the groom and we are the bride. The church is people that have been called out from this world who have been saved by our belief in Jesus as God that come together for a common purpose and a common mission. We are the church. The church is us. And God makes this incredible promise in this moment, in this passage, that he will build my church. You see, if the church builds our lives around Jesus, then Jesus will build his church. If the church builds our lives around Jesus, then Jesus will build this church. And in this phrase, which gets often confused in our world today and in a lot of religions, he says to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. What does that simply mean? That simply means that we are the blocks in the church that God is building. God is building us by adding people to the church on a regular basis. Now Peter, the representative of the disciples, gets all excited to answer this super important question. He steps out, he declares Jesus as Lord, and Jesus says, Peter, you're right, and on this rock, I am going to build my church, and it starts with you. Peter, you're the first block that I'm laying down in the church. And I'm so excited that you believe in me. And so I'm going to build my church from here on this rock. I'm going to build my church. And now I'm going to, I'm going to then go with, with Andrew and with Matthew. I'm going to build my church with Nathan and Philip. I'm going to build my church with Thomas. And I'm going to, and I'm going to use James. And John's going to be a part of this church too. I'm going to start building my church in this moment. And if you guys are all in with following me, I'm going to continue building my church. And then what happens as the story of the New Testament goes on, they go out and they start telling other people about Jesus in the book of Acts. Thousands upon thousands were added to their numbers to the point of where there was this guy named Paul who believed in Jesus radically on the road to Damascus. And Jesus took Paul and said, Paul, on you, I'm going to build my church and Stephen came along and started building a church and Paul worked with Timothy and Paul worked with Titus and on, on Timothy and on Titus, God is going to build my church and God has been in the business of building. Then a girl named Dorcas got involved and, and uh, 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 not Philemon, what's the girl's name? Phoebe jumped in and she was a part of the church and Aquilus and Priscilla's didn't go very well for them but they jumped into the church too and God said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep building my church and, and the, listen, and the gates of hell aren't going to just, you focus on me, you focus on Jesus, you follow after me, and I'm going to build my church. And as the story goes on, there's been great preachers all around the world who God has built the church on. There's a guy named Charles Spurgeon who uh, gave incredible sermons well before uh, anybody could record anything or there was electricity. Dwight L. Moody was in Chicago, started the modern uh, movement of the church in, in our region on Dwight and on on. Uh, Charles, I'm going to build my church all the way up until we got to the present day today. And I, I remember sitting in worship with my grandmother week after week, and my grandmother represented Jesus to me in so many ways through his love and through his kindness. You see, at some point, my grandmother put her saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus said, Helen, you get it, you got it. You put your faith in Jesus, and I'm going to take Helen, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And after, after uh, interacting with Helen, I sit in a service in, in a kids' meeting with Mrs. Comfort and Mrs. Good, and Mrs. Comfort and Mrs. Good lead me to Christ. I pray to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and on Mrs. Comfort and on Mrs. Good, I'm going to build my church. 
My parents were involved on, on Betty Jean and Bill. I'm going to build my church. On Josh, I'm going to build my church. When you put your faith and trust in me, I met an awesome lady named Jen, and she was gorgeous, and she was beautiful, and she said she'd marry me, so I did it real quick before she got away. Jen believes in Jesus. Jen, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And Jen was introduced to Jesus by her mom, Linda, and her dad, Dave. And all of these pieces are the blocks that Jesus builds the church with. And here at Branch Life Church, God is continuing to build his church with Jamie and with Tyler. He's building his church with Todd and with Ben. He's building his church with Deb and with Jeff. And we're celebrating even more new members today, like Kelly, who just got baptized, and Kyle. You see, the church is a people. And God is in the business of building his church on these people, past, present, and future. And when God says, I will build my church, that's got to get you excited. Are you in? Have you accepted Jesus as your personal savior? And do you understand what the church is? It's a people. It's us. And the local church, us gathering, is God's plan A. Now he's going to answer the question, what does the church do? Matthew 16, verse 18, he says, I tell you, you're Peter, on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what does the church do? What's the mission and purpose? What's the point of the church? Listen, he, as soon as he introduces the church, he says to them that the church is in the business of invading the gates of hell. This is not a defensive posture. The church is not on defense trying to fight against culture and everything that's coming at us. The church is on offense, and what are we on offense doing? We're on offense storming the gates of hell and pulling out as many people as we possibly can. You see, God has called us to make disciples, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to do everything that I have commanded you to do. And the gates of hell will not be able to stand against us. The, the point of the church is to storm the gates. We gotta go after it, we gotta go after people, we've gotta do the spiritual battle that God has called us to do. Charles Spurgeon, who's been a part of the church since before we were born, says it this way, oh my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay, and not to madly to destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. The mission of the church is to pray for and warn everyone about the truth of what's next in this world, to declare the wonderful, the wonderful truth that Jesus Christ is God and that salvation is offered freely to everyone. That's our mission. That's what we've been put on this earth to do. We need to reach out in each and every single one of us who know Jesus Christ, our personal Savior. We know at least someone who needs this message. We know at least someone who needs to know Jesus Christ loves them. We need to know someone that, that could use this good news in their lives and be transformed by the gospel. We know someone who's open to the conversation. We know someone who's searching. We know someone who's hurting. And what are we doing to introduce them to Jesus, that one? 
Sometimes we can get overwhelmed and think, I've got to go out here, I've got to save the whole world, and I've got to make as many people know Jesus as possible. No, don't think about it that way. Just start with one. Your one. The one person that Jesus has brought into your life that you would be most excited to see come to know Jesus more than anyone else. That's the one that God has asked you to pray for. That's the one that God has asked you to invest in. That's the one who God has asked you to invite so that today, who's your one? And how are you praying? How are you investing? And how are you inviting? And God will give you the victory in Jesus' name. So what does the church do in order to storm the gates? Well, how do we live this out? Well, the next line in the verse says something along the lines, well, Jesus is going to give us the keys to the kingdom. We're going to close with that verse in just a second. But the church has a message, and we've had the same message from the beginning of time, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that the gospel transforms us, not just for salvation, but for everyday life. And this message is never changing, and this message we live for, we die for, we preach, we, we, we teach, we live it out in so many different ways. How we deliver this message changes from culture to culture and time to time. You see, the church has looked very different over the centuries. It's always consisted of people who call Jesus God, but it takes on different shapes and different forms and different methods of delivering that message, informed by the truth of the word of God, but, but performed in a way that's appropriate in every season and every culture. And here at Branch Life Church, we have our culture. We have the way that we, we work to answer this question, and we completely understand that it might change. So what do we do as a church? What is, the, what is the rhythms of the church? What's the strategy of the church? And specifically, what's the strategy of our church? If you're a part of Branch Life Church, this is what we believe God is calling you to do in this season, in this strategy. We started talking about it last week with the foundation of worship and connection. This is where it's going to start going fast. I'm just going to review this stuff. I'm not going to be able to stay on it very long. Last week, we brought three people up here one of them held the Bible, the other one put their hands up, and the other one put their hands out. And that was to signify the importance of worship on the weekend. Then we brought people together who put their arms around each other, and that was to signify the importance of connecting during the week. We believe that the church is called by God to gather. We are called by God to worship. And we're called by God to do that on a weekly basis, worship on the weekend, worship on the Lord's Day. In the Old Testament, they set up the Sabbath. It's transformed since the resurrection of Jesus Christ that Sunday is now the Lord's Day. And so it makes sense for us now to gather together as a church to worship God. And so last week we said this, worship on the weekend means transforming interaction with the Word of God. Worship on the weekend means engaged focus upwards on the greatness of God. And worship on the weakness means wholly surrendered to the will of God. That's incredible stuff that you can't get by watching church on TV. It's not something that I just sit and spectate. It's something that I participate in. And when we gather together, it's better. We sing louder. There's more passionate. We are able to talk and discuss and to meet needs and to serve and do all kinds of things that happen when we come in this moment. And together we point to the greatness of God and it causes our soul to sing let me give you these two warnings about worship. Number one, worship is not about you. Let's work very hard to resist making worship about you. 
and insist on making worship about God. You see, worship on the weekend is not about me, it's about him. Worship on the weekend is not about the sheep, it's about the shepherd. I come to worship him, and as soon as I say I'm too tired to go to worship, I've made it about myself. As soon as I said my family's too busy to go to worship, I've made it about myself. As soon as I say what is here for me, I've made it about myself. I've got to make it about God. It's not about the songs that I like or the amount of uh, mess- the, the length of the message that I want to hear. It's about transforming interaction with the Word of God, vertical worship upward, and an openness to hear from God and follow His lead. That's what worship's about. It's all about Him. I give this to Him. This is what the church does. We worship. And it should hurt your soul to not gather. And it should cause your soul to sing to gather. There's no substitution. We can do it online for a season when the need is there, but we are better together. And the second thing is make it about participation, not evaluation. Participate. Don't evaluate. Don't cross your arms and say, I'll see you about that. Don't wear your critical pants every week. Just jump in, sing it, dive into it, love it, engage in it, and participate in that worship because it's about him. It's not about me. The second thing we say that we do at Branch Life is we connect during the week. Why do we connect during the week? Because we intentionally invade aloneness. In the season of connectivity, we have never been more alone. We talked about this last week. We've got to go after aloneness. We don't want casually terminal relationships. We want intentional relationships. We want to invade each other's lives in the best, most loving and truth-telling way possible. If someone's in my small group and they're separating themselves from worship, I'm there to say, get back at it. If someone's in my group and they're, they're starting to make a bad relationship choice, I can say, hey, let's pray over this and think about it and let's make a shift to do what God wants us to do. If someone in my group has a friend who doesn't know Jesus and they're trying to tell him, I can say, let me come alongside of you and I'll partner with you to spread the good news of Jesus. If someone in my group falls down, I'm there to get them up. If someone in my group is cold, we can be warm together. We are better together when we are connected and doing life together. That's how valuable this connection is. And it's more than we can do when we worship together on Sundays. So we get together throughout the week in all kinds of ways. And then together we grow, we serve, and we reach. Together we do these amazing... So my small group together sat at a banquet and we were strategizing about how we help orphans in Africa. Can you do that? Yes! That's what your group can do. We can gather together and we can supply a meal. We can gather together and we can celebrate a birthday party. We can gather together and we can lead each other in worship. We can pray for one another. We can open God's word. We can talk about last week's message. Whatever it is, we're going to grow, serve, and reach. Let's do it. Together. We're better. Now, Hebrews chapter 10 gives us why we do this stuff. Let's consider how we stir up one another to good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some. He's telling us to get together we got to get together, but to encourage one another all the more because the day is drawing near. We're going to see Jesus soon. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, and he gave us the apostles and the prophets and evangelists, shepherds, teachers, why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, 
for the building up of the body of Christ. I will build my church, Jesus said, and here's how I'm going to do it, through you. You're going to do the work of the ministry. You're going to be out busy doing what it is God has called you to do. And when you build up the church, incredible things happen. So let me say this. Stop tearing the church down. There are so many people in our world who are attacking the church. The church has plenty of critics. The church has plenty of prosecutors. The church has plenty of people that hate us. We've got to not be a part of that chorus. Our job is not to tear the church down. Our job is to build the church up. What the church needs is less public prosecutors and more public defenders. You've got to explain to people. You've got to demonstrate to people. You've got to post to people why you love your church, why you love your family, why you worship on the weekends, why you connect together, and stop putting your complaints and your prosecutions out for the whole world to see. They hear plenty of that. What they need is a voice in the wind that says, I love God's plan for me. I love my church. I love worship. Let's get that message out there. Let's be public defenders of the church of God, and let's fall in love with his plan for us. You see, at Branch Life Church, we think worship and connection are at the root of what we do. And they're consistent in all of our lives. And from there, three things happen. We grow. From there, we serve. And from there, we reach. This is what the church does. This is what Branch Life Church does. And the, Get your cameras ready. I'm going to go fast, all right? Number one, we grow. Growing things change. Growing things change. Let's stop longing for the good old days. Let's not pine for the way we used to do it and the songs we used to sing. We're growing, and we're going to change, and things are going to look different. Fellowship Hall's purposes are going to get revamped, and we are, we are, as a growing thing, going to be changing. You shouldn't look the same next, this time next year in your spiritual life. You should have grown in some way, shape, or form. And it is a personal pursuit of God that we work on together. And we are not self, we want to be self-fed, not spoon-fed. You should not depend on me for your spiritual meals in life. It is not a one-time meal that will cause you to grow. It's constantly feeding yourself that will cause spiritual growth. Our goal as a church is equipping you to feed yourself. I'm not going to spoon-feed you all the time. You have to learn to feed yourself self-fed Christians are growing in their spiritual maturity. We've got to get out of the baby phase, and we've got to get in the adult phase. Teach a person to, uh, give a person a fish, you feed them for a day. Teach them a fish, you feed them for a lifetime. We want to learn to read God's Bible, pray together so that you can grow in your own spiritual walk. If you're, if you're, if you're, this is off the cuff, if you're claiming to be spiritually needy because your preacher's not feeding you right, that's not your preacher's problem. You've got to learn to feed yourself. And you've got to learn to be able to do it in an incredible way. Sorry, I got a little aggressive there. I didn't mean it. I love you. Now, number two, serve. Serve. Save people, serve. All right? It's just, it's what we do, right? And so we sacrificially give our gifts to others. We should be in the business of seeing needs and meeting needs. And, and the question should be, how can I help, not who can help me? How can I help, not who can help me? And when we get this posture and we take this attitude of I'm coming to you and worship becomes about 
uh, helping other people and my group becomes about the other people in my group and it's less about me and it's more about others, man, it totally transforms us. Our church is not about making ourselves better. We want to make our community better and our neighbors better. Love God, love neighbor. That's what service is. And then we reach. Found people, find people. How do we do that at Branch Life Church? We pray for our one. We invest in relationships that are outside of this church and we invite people to our home, to coffee, to Christmas Eve, to our small group, to conversations about Jesus, however it's appropriate. We pray, we invest, and we invite. We ask God to show us, give us the wisdom to do what, when. And then we ask the question, or we want to demonstrate who we are for, not what we are against. We want to be a church that's for our neighbors, that's for our town, that's for our community, and we don't, we don't, we'd rather not talk about what we're against, we'd rather talk about what we're for. Because God is for you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If we're able to do this as a church, we believe we will be healthier, we'll be stronger, that we'll be better. As a church, we worship, we connect, we then individually grow, serve, and reach. You see, the church is God's plan A. He says to them, after introducing them to the church, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven, loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one. This is the messianic mystery that he said in Matthew, until the right time, and it was just going to be the right time after he rose again from the dead, they would start putting Jesus as Lord on blast. And in this moment, he says, listen, here's how important I believe the church is. The church is so important that I'm going to give them my key. If I gave you the keys to my house, do you know what I'm trusting you with? I'm trusting you with my Nintendo Switch. I'm trusting you with my dog. I'm trusting you with my kids. I'm trusting you with all of my family. If I give you the keys, I am giving you an incredible responsibility and an amazing opportunity to be a part of the Park family. When God gives you the keys to the kingdom, when God gave us the keys to the kingdom, he gave us an incredible responsibility. Our responsibility is to represent the family of God here on earth like it is in heaven. We're supposed to live in the way that God has designed us to live, and we're supposed to open our doors and invite as many people in as we possibly can. And if you help lead someone to Jesus Christ, you bring them to the family of God here on earth, they're going to be a part of the story in heaven. Isn't it amazing to think about it that God has given us, the church, this incredible responsibility? So, are you in? Are you dedicated? Are you excited? Are you passionate about who the church is and what the church does? And maybe this radically transforms the way you think about the church. Maybe this is just a healthy reminder to keep going. But I hope God has just given you some encouragement today in this truth that the church is God's plan A. Let's be all in. Let's go for it. Let's get together next Sunday night. Let's celebrate what God's doing. And let's lock arms and be better together as we reach this world and as we storm the gates. Because they will not win. The church will win. So I can't think of a better way than to welcome new members into Branch Life Church this morning. This is just an incredible opportunity to say, hey, the, the God is building Branch Life Church. and He's building it one person at a time. I don't know if you know this, but 
uh, whoa, sorry. I don't know if you know this, but the church is, is struggling right now. Not Branch Life Church specifically, but the church in general. Most churches are at 65% of their pre-pandemic attendance. Branch Life Church is at well over 100%. We've seen God do some incredible things. And I don't say that to brag. I don't say that to say we've got some corner on the market. There's some unique reasons why that has happened. But I do say this. God is still building his church. And today we are welcoming members who have been a part of Branch Life Church since the beginning. And they took the step to become charter members. And we're welcoming people that are for the first time joining Branch Life Church. That means they've met us in the last four or five months. We're so excited to welcome both of these groups. What I want to do is just ask if you're a a team member who is just joining, you were a core team member, you're going to stand. And if you are new, we're going to ask you to come forward and Pastor Scott's going to give you a box. Some of these families were in our first service. So welcoming as charter members, former launch team members, we'd like to welcome Dan, Jamie, and Riley Latchaw, Jeff and, and Dottie Wirt, Cheryl and Drew Geisey, Cheryl McBride, and Brad Rutherford. New to Branch Life Church, and we're welcoming you into our family today. Gerald Gasser, Jimmy Floyd, Eric and Katie Faust, Lynn and Tom Cowperthwaite, Marguerite Chase, and Kelly and Kyle Perone. Would you guys come forward? We're so excited about what this next chapter holds, and we're so excited to see God continuing to build the family here at Branch Life Church. If you guys would stay, Pastor Scott is going to pray over you before you go back to your seat. That you have a role for each of us to play, and that we can't function the way that you want us to unless, unless we're doing that. God, for these uh, four people that are, are standing up here at the front, for the, the other families and that that have joined today, for the, the core team members that are standing throughout the auditorium that are officially becoming charter members, God, we ask that you would empower them to do the work of the ministry, that they would help and continue to encourage all of us towards love and good works. And that as we together strengthen our connection to Christ, that you would help us all to reach further into the world, into our communities, into our neighbors, neighborhoods and uh, workplaces uh, to multiply uh, disciples and leaders and churches. And uh, we ask that you would give us the power to do all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give these guys a big round of applause. Welcome, guys. Hey, thanks again for joining us. Don't forget to take a moment to fill out your connection card. Let us know what you've heard from God today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, we'd love to get those. This is something that you can share on social media. If you'd like to do that, we'd be honored that you pass the word along. And if you want to catch up on other uh, life lessons from this series, you can go to our YouTube channel or, or again to our website anytime to find out more. We've prayed over you, we've prayed over this message, and we hope that God has used it in your life to take you one step forward on your spiritual journey. Thanks for joining us during this time, and we hope you'll be back again soon. Have a great rest of your day.